going to be Mark 11, 1 through 26. I'm going to read it from here. Okay. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage, I did not parse this, I'm so sorry, and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, sent two of them ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said, Jesus... They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heavens. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves when it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again, and the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teachings. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered that Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Just situated here a little bit. Good morning. This this will be our last week in Mark for a month. We're going to pause. We're going to come back to Mark. We're going to... Uh, Take four weeks for Advent. It's going to be really good. But this is sort of our last 
uh, our last passage that we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of Mark for a while. Um, and it's a good one. It's a, it's a long passage, but it's a good one. So, hey, kids. What? You hear me? Yeah. Yeah? Raise your hands if you've heard a Palm Sunday before. Yeah? Normally, we talk about Palm Sunday closer to what holiday? Easter, right? But we're getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas. But, you guys know the story? Palm Sunday? That's good. That's the passage we're going to be talking about today. That's the story, okay? So I know it's a little bit different with everybody in here, but I think you guys can do it, okay? Kids? Parents? It's okay. I have five kids. If they're moving around wiggling, I get it. It's all good. <laughs> we say this every week, but just a reminder, Mark is a roadmap for disciples. In a time when things are crazy, and there's confusion about what's going on, what we're to be doing, how it is to follow Jesus, Mark is a roadmap for us as disciples. This morning, really, this is a familiar passage. Like I said, this is, this is the uh, Palm Sunday passage that we would typically be looking at right before Easter. Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem. This whole section leading up here has been this journey on the way. He's leading to get to this point. And it, finally, at last, he's arrived to the city. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Sorry, it's hard to see. He enters into Jerusalem. And this marks the end of Jesus' avoidance of the crowds his secrecy, and at last he's beginning to openly, there's like an open confrontation with his opponents and with what's going on at the temple. This morning I want us to try to get past the familiarity of this passage. Let's try to, to like not think about Easter for a minute. <clears throat> and to look at what Jesus is doing. I believe Jesus has something in this for us as disciples about who he is, how we are to live in light of that. So let's open, let's open up this passage and begin to look at this triumphant entry. Jesus rides into town on a borrowed donkey. There's so much going on in this passage. Uh, kids, kids, do you ever wonder why do you ever wonder why they had palm leaves? Yeah. Right? When Jesus is riding into town on the donkey, they use palm leaves. You guys ever wonder why? Before this happened, like 150 years, somewhere in there, there's this story of this guy named Judas, Judas the Hammer. Say that, Judas the Hammer. Yeah. And he's riding into town, well actually his brother, Judas the Hammer, the Maccabean Revolt, he led this, this revolt, and his brother Simon rides into Jerusalem to cleanse the temple, and they receive him very much like this. In 1 Maccabees 13, which is not going to be in your Bible, uh, you can find it online, but 
First uh, Maccabees 13, they tell us the story. It says, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because the great army had been crushed and removed from Israel. The heroes and legendary narratives of the first Maccabees had shaped the imagination of first century Palestine. The Jews were waiting for somebody just like Simon and Judas Maccabeus. They were waiting for the hammer. Again, a foreign occupier had occupied the land. This time it was Rome, who was probably the worst of all. There was a culture hungry for liberation, for freedom from their foreign oppressors. Hopes were high for a heroic figure who would, with charisma, would gather together a fighting force and with military skill, he would drive the Romans and the foreigners from the land. But Jesus, Mark's Jesus, the Jesus that we have in this gospel is a Jesus that's cross-directed. He's a cross-directed Messiah, preaching a cross-shaped kingdom, calling for a cross-carrying disciples. Jesus seems, at every turn, to subvert the narrative. He's working against this hope of this nationalist king. So the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and they wave palm branches in the same way the crowds would welcome the conquering, that they had welcomed the conquering Simon when he entered the city. Jesus was receiving the reception of a king. They praised Jesus with Psalms 118, which celebrates God's deliverance through a military victory. First Maccabees doesn't actually tell us what song they were singing, but I think it's probable that they were singing the same songs out of Psalms 118. They cry, Hosanna, which means, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it seems that Jesus broke the script and he did something very differently. He didn't ride into town on a powerful war horse the way a king would. He mounted a colt or a small donkey. Tim Keller said, said it like this, and I thought it was really good. Here is Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. The crowd shouted, Hosanna, save us, thinking that Jesus had come to deliver them from their political enemies. I think there's a lot of us now that are saying, save us from our political enemies. But what they needed most and what we need most is to be saved from ourselves. They and we needed to be saved from our petty nationalism and our divisions that divide us into tiny enclaves set over and against one another. Jesus doesn't come to fulfill anyone's political agenda. He just doesn't. He has his own agenda. As Char said last week, he has his own politic. Ultimately, he's going to be our judge, and he may actually condemn the way we see things, just like he did this temple. 
It's amazing that people still seem to drape Jesus and their nationalist flag and assume that he not only endorses their politics, but he will help accomplish them. Wars have been fought in recent history with both sides claiming Jesus was on their side. Jesus' actions here, it's when he arrives to the temple, it almost seems anticlimactic. There's all this fever, all this hope. Save us, Hosanna, save us. And Mark, it's, he says he, he arrives at the temple, he looks around, and he leaves. There was no reception. The religious leaders were not there to receive him. Jesus comes in, he looks around, and I think he makes a judgment. He sees what's going on, he makes, makes his assessment, and then he leaves. Jesus has his own agenda, just as he has the whole way through this gospel. He's showing us the way of discipleship. He's showing us the way of his kingdom. At this time, the temple was the religious, national, political, it was even the economic core of Israel. Historians say that the temple made up almost 25% of the city of Jerusalem, the actual temple itself. It was more like a temple that had a small city than, than uh, a small temple. This temple was everything to the Jewish people. But the reality is this was the third temple. This was built by King Herod. And if we're honest, the manifest presence of God was not there. So Jesus enters the temple, and he delivers the verdict from what he had seen from his assessment. Mark says, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and, and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus enters the outer courts of the temple. And this is the only section in the temple that you were allowed to enter if you were not a Jewish man. So there's this outer court that was, you were allowed to enter if you were a Gentile or if you were a woman, and you couldn't go any further. This is the point, the point of this area in the temple was to be inviting for the nations. The point of this area in the temple, the point actually for the Jewish people in general, was to uh, point the nations to their God, was to be an inviting place. And out of sheer practicality, this section had been turned into a marketplace. Thousands upon thousands of pilgrims would travel to this temple to offer sacrifices. Josephus, the, the great historian, said that on one Passover week alone, 255,000 lambs would be bought and slaughtered in the temple. One week alone. 255,000 lambs. On the surface, it seems to make logical sense to do this here, it's super, uh, super convenient. With so many pilgrims, it would be impractical, highly impractical, 
inconvenient for them to bring their own animals to sacrifice. They would run the risk of them becoming blemished or deemed unacceptable by the time they arrived if something happened. So they created a system that made it convenient and viable for travelers to exchange their foreign currency to the specific required for the temple and they could buy the items needed for the offering. It seems convenient, it seems to make sense, but Jesus, for Jesus, this was unacceptable. The way he saw it, this whole system was broken. The Jews, they were expecting Hosanna, save now, they were expecting their Messiah to go into the temple and to cleanse it by the removal of the Gentiles. But, Jesus is not coming to purify or reclaim the temple by expelling the foreigners as Simon did in 1 Maccabee. He's actually doing the opposite in some ways. He's making a way for the nations to worship and to follow him. Jesus drives out both the buyers and the sellers in the temple courts. He threw over the table of the currency exchange, completely shutting down the temple, if even for a moment. In doing this, he's, he's causing a commotion that shuts down the sacrificial system, even for a moment. The language Mark uses here, he uses this word drive out. The only other places he uses that is when Jesus drives out a demon. This is very... Uh, intense language. Jesus is not playing around. They were expecting the Messiah to come and cleanse the temple. They were expecting him to get rid of the Jews or the Gentiles. But instead, Jesus goes to the prophets, their prophets, and he critiques them for their exclusion of the Gentiles. Let's look at this. He says, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was intended to be the place where God meets with humanity. It's intended, it should recall memories of the garden where God communed with mankind. And it is intended to be a foretaste of the time when God would make all things new and dwell with mankind again. It should have been an attractive to the nations, but instead, it had been turned into a piece of Jewish nationalist pride. So Jesus merges two echoes from the prophets. He's like, he's like quoting a little bit from Isaiah and a little bit from Jeremiah, and he's putting them together. This passage from Isaiah is really important because if you know, like he's only quoting a section of a verse, but if you know the whole surrounding passage, it really helps illuminate what Jesus is doing here. Isaiah 56, he's quoting verse 7, but let's read 6 through 8. Verse 6 says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds, 
holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God will gather the outcasts of Israel, declares. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The whole point of this passage in Isaiah was that he was drawing the nations to himself. He was bringing the foreigners, those the outcasts of Israel. Jesus is also pointing back to Jeremiah. He's quoting Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. It says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I think Mark, in this passage, Jesus is bringing these two quotes from the prophets. And I think it's clear to me that the, the way Jesus' Jesus's critique here, the way that they're doing things, this temple, the way it's functioning, that time has ended. This is a judgment on the temple. There's a new temple on the horizon. And the way they're doing things come to an end. I thought it was fascinating. N.T. Wright, in commenting on this passage, he compares Jesus' actions here to the burning of a flag. When someone burns a flag, I mean, besides the fact that it's obviously offensive, they're not just burning a piece of cloth. They're symbolically setting fire to a land, a people, a government, a sovereignty, and all the narratives that are implied by that flag. Jesus was not just passing judgment on the temple, but everything the Jews knew. He was ending not just the time of the temple, but everything, the system that they functioned in. Now, most of your Bibles, they probably have the title in them, which were after... Were uh, added later, that Jesus is cleansing the temple. I think it's probably more accurate to understand this as a prophetic act of judgment. Ultimately, in AD 70, this temple would be destroyed. And I think to drive the point home, Mark includes this whole section about the fig tree. Which as you're reading through this passage, I hope as you were reading in anticipation this week, reading ahead, it kind of stands out a little odd. Is Jesus just hangry? What's going on? Jesus is walking to the temple. He sees a fig tree that has leaves as signs of, of life. He goes up, there's no fruit, and so he gets angry and curses the fig tree. The story of the fig tree became an opportunity to provide a private, memorable object lesson, a parable of sorts, of how hollow religiosity, the appearance of life without fruit, Jesus is using the fig tree as a visual aid. The, the tree became the perfect metaphor for Israel. And beyond that, for all of those who claimed to be God's people, but in, they were bearing no fruit. 
The tree shows signs of activity, shines of life, but is actually fruitless, dying on the inside. So too is this temple in Jesus' estimation. The whole system surrounding it has signs of activity, signs of business, busyness, signs of life, but it's hollow. Jesus has just prophetically ended the time of the temple. The question is, is what is coming? Where is he pointing new? What does this mean for us as disciples? Mark is a roadmap for disciples. What does this mean for us? And as they're walking back out of town, Peter sees this withered fig tree, and he points it out to Jesus. And I believe that Jesus' response here is our takeaway for this passage. Verse 22, Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, I think that this is actually very important there. I think he's probably, my thoughts, probably pointing back at the Temple Mountain. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, or if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. On the first reading, this section also seems kind of odd. Like, what does faith and mountains and prayer have to do with this temple and the fig tree? I think Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples, to us, of what it means, what it looks like to be the new temple. The community of disciples of Jesus, we are the new temple that Jesus is forming. Collectively, when we get together, this is the place where God encounters humankind in our presence and with us. I think Jesus is likely pointing to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, saying, This mountain. Jesus with his prophetic act of judgment on the previous day, had symbolically taken up this temple and thrown it into the chaos of the sea. Jesus, before, previously, has taught about having faith and stressing the need for prayer. It should remind us of a passage that we looked at recently in Mark chapter 9. The healing of the boy with the demon. There, too, there were the themes of faith and prayer. Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who has faith. And this kind can only come out through prayer. Remember, Jesus, the disciples were frustrated because they couldn't do it. Jesus' deliberation from demons, as we saw earlier, is a sign of the inbreaking time of fulfillment. And the disciples, if they were to be a part of it, they must have faith and pray. I think the same is true here. If the disciples, if we want to be a part of this new temple, this new people that God, that Jesus is ordaining, then we must also have faith and pray. So Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, 
forgive. And if you have anything against, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Stand praying and forgive. This should put, this does put, in fact, the disciples opposite of the temple. What are the temple? The temple stands the house of prayer. Is not the temple the place where sacrifices were offered for forgiveness? The community of disciples, that's you, that's, that's me, that's us, together. We are now the epicenter of these activities. And as long as you keep on praying and forgiving, they will be the new temple. We're to live out communion with God in community, forgiving each other. So what does that mean for us this week? How can we apply this? What is, what is this just good information or is there anything we can do with this? Some questions. I, I like to respond to a passage by asking myself questions. So some questions that I hope you can uh, ponder, pray through this week, talk over in your, in your groups as you, as you uh, discuss how to, how to live out and apply these passages. Are we being like the fig tree? Is there activity, signs of life, but no fruit? Are we being like the religious leaders, putting walls of exclusion and not inviting others into the family? Are we so focused on our convenience and our entitlements and our rights that we can't see a lost, dying, and hurting world around us? Or are we being a community of prayer and radical forgiveness? Do we trust Jesus even when it doesn't look like he's doing things the way we think they should happen? When things are odd? I'll pray and the worship team come back up. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this season. God, I pray that you would help us to remember to be a people of prayer and radical forgiveness. God, that we would live out the implications of the gospel, that we would be a new temple people, the place where God meets with our community, the place where God encounters our neighbors and our friends and our family through us in community. Jesus, we bless you this morning.